Yeehaw, hello, howdy. Uh, everybody on the post here by accidentally changing up the, the music midway through, um, pushing the wrong button, being able to do all those fun things. Hopefully, the rest of the podcast does not have any of those technical difficulties or anything like that. Um, this is the, the Canon Stats Podcast, the weekly Arsenal Analytics Podcast. I am Scott Willis, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Adam Bogey. Welcome, Adam. Um, it, this is just how things are going in my life right now with things breaking and doing all that stuff. So, of course, it has to to go and happen here. Hopefully, your week has been better. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a you know, not a lot of stuff has been breaking anyway, so that's good. Um, you know, life can be challenging. So, if I were you, I would have just played that off as like a, a mashup, like some kind of remix. DJ you know, I, I am apparently a DJ. Yeah. Um, my, 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 I think my greatest <laughs> achievement and thing that I'm most proud of in life, besides my children, because I'm obligated to say that, is the the music that I made for Stats Guy and a Civilian. Um, I, I'm kind of embarrassed by how long I spent doing that and being able to do it, but I think it turned out quite nice. Um, wow. Yeah, I should you know do, I should do some some fun remixing for this music too to to get us some fun vibes. Be able to do it. You should. You could be a rival to like uh, Gunner Blog and jj bull and some of those other guys who make funny funny songs about yeah well I, i'm never going to be quite the the dj that andrew arsblog is but maybe i could be like the second best arsenal dj i mean you know we probably we probably do have like real professional djs who are arsenal fans so maybe no they don't count they don't know <laughs> this is only the the leisure like the leisure set of dj arsenal fans that's correct, right? Yeah, uh, I, I don't count those guys. Those guys are probably good, and they're not going to make funny songs. They're they only make serious, yeah. serious music. They're making bangers for the club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can we say bangers for the club? Uh, what was the last time I was actually in a club? It's been a long time. Ooh, yeah, probably even longer for me, and I'm younger than you. <laughs> All right. Um, enough waffle. Um, I, I think we got some fun to be able to talk about today. Um, so we are we are approaching the quarter season. There is no real good quarter season mark because of 38 games, but we are at the 24% mark of the season. And if we wait till next week, we'd be up beyond the quarter mark of the season. So we're going to call this the quarter mark of the season. And we uh, thought it was a good idea to, to do a checkup on how the team is doing. So uh, we got a couple sections here that we wanted to go through. So we're going to go through the the biggest surprise, the biggest disappointment, the main takeaway as our expectations changed. And then we're going to do a final rating of the manager out of 10. So let's start with some good news. Um, so Adam, uh, who's been your biggest surprise so far this season? I think with, let's, let's set the, the mark again here from the, the baseline of uh, the season, um, you know, where you thought at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think that there have been there have been some positive surprises. Um, I think that I think that what I would say about positive surprises, though, is I don't think that there's been one that's been well beyond what I expected. Like, um, like nobody who I was like, ah, they're going to be like whatever, and they ended up being really good. I do think that there are some there are, but the kind of the the good inverse of that is I think that there are a number of guys who have been better than I expected. Um, you know, I certainly, uh, although although he, people didn't love his game against Tottenham, I think that Eddie Nketiah has been a really positive uh, player so far for the season. Um, not always getting the goals, but like against Crystal Palace, I think he was a big reason that Arsenal won that, uh, drew drew that penalty and uh, was big in the season opener too. So um, obviously like Declan Rice has, has almost had like no adjustment to mm-hmm. what he does and he's been incredible. Um I would also put I would also put uh, Alexander Zinchenko as one of my surprise players of the season. I think that uh, recency bias maybe would quash some because I don't think he was good, particularly at Chelsea. Um, but uh, I think just overall he's been better as a defender. Uh, continued consistency is like that midfield ball progressor and like that that line breaking pass launcher. Um, mm-hmm. And and just I, it's been really fun to watch. Uh, the way that he's kind of even become more free roaming this season, I feel like maybe that's just uh, anecdotal. <laughs> yeah, you're right because I think you know last year you think like when you were uh, the the normal setup would be kind of you know the back two, maybe back three, hybrid back three, and then it was party on the right, Zinchenko on the left. But because Declan Rice has had that natural tendency to want to drift to the left hand side, we've seen Zinchenko all the way on the right hand side, yeah, like, even like more right wing. than we did last year. 
yeah, it's been it's been crazy and ridiculous. I mean, I was picking out moments against Chelsea where I was like, oh, look at that Zinchenko's in front of Rice, who's not even like the nominal number eight or not, not even the number number six. He's the number eight this in this game and Zinchenko's still in front of him. Uh, there was a good portion of that game where Zinchenko, when Rice was almost dropping to left back so that Zinchenko could get forward with Martinelli. It was kind of crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, those guys are kind of like the ones that I think have exceeded my expectations the most. I think, um, you know, given all the all the talk about Saka, you would you would think he's doing worse than he is. Um, but you know, I think I can. We'll get into this in like the second segment. But um, you know, we we just haven't had a chance to like see most of the guys play the full part of the season so far. Yeah. You know, when I was uh, preparing for this, um, I, I wrote down here that this is my topic or the topic. And then I was trying to make like a, a, a list of players that here that were a big surprise. And it's not a long list to be able to do it. Actually, mine is blank currently. Um, it, it feels like there's a lot of players that have met expectations. Um, I think a part of that is that we had big expectations for a lot of players. Uh, the last year was the one where the expectations rose and the surprises came. Mm-hmm. And this year, it's been more one where I think that the expectations have changed and there's only time to go down here. Um, I, I think I would call out uh, William Saliba as well. Um, I think there was potential questions of how you know a back injury could have affected him going forward, and it hasn't slowed him down at all. Uh, he has certainly moved up my ranking of the best center backs in the world to where I think that he has a, a good you know argument to be um, among those players. Um, certainly um, among one of the best in the Premier League right now. Um, so I think that is one that's been a, a positive surprise. Not that we thought that he was a, a bad player or anything like that, but I think we had potentially questions of, um, you know, what what would that injury do to him to start the year? Um, so I think that has been a very good positive surprise. Um, I'm I'm a little bit. This isn't necessarily a positive thing, but I think that it's, I'm surprised that Arsenal did bring in a goalkeeper. Um, so yeah. I think that might go into some of the other stuff we're going on. So that was not necessarily a position that I think a lot of us had in mind as a spot to change. And that's something that, you know, even uh, when the season kicked off, I don't think was on the top of our minds as something that happened. So I think that is certainly a surprise, not necessarily negative or positive, but something that has certainly surprised me and has made a, a talking point for the seam that I don't think we, you know, anticipated at the start of the year. No. I want to go back to what you said about Eddie and Keddie. And I think that's one that's got a lot of meat still on the bone. And it's a, it's, it's a constant, constant conversation. Um, I'm going to pose this question to you. Um, do you think Eddie and Kedia is a, a, an above replacement level player? So if, if Arsenal had just, you know, say taken anybody from, you know, say like the bottom three teams or the bottom three or the top three teams in the championship, do you think we would have a better player than Eddie and Kedia? So I think to me, like that's kind of like the, the prototypical replacement level kind of guy. I would, I would say no. Um, I mean, who, who, who's this competition here? Like Lyle Foster and uh, I wouldn't take those guys over at Eddie and Kitty. I think you, I think you need to get, and this is the thing, this is the thing that kind of just, uh, you know, it grinds my gears. Maybe one of these days I can do a segment about like, um, <clears throat> like football fan fallacies that, or at least things that I think are fallacies or maybe things that I can disprove. I don't know. But, um, you know, I just, there's, there's a huge grass is always greener. Uh, like element to football fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tweeted the other day about Rafael Leal uh, and like last December, January, like people were like, get Martinelli out. Like he's not, he's not good enough. He's not, you know, he's not title race standard. Um, all this stuff. And people were saying Rafael, Rafael Leal is better. Um, and, you know, Rafael Leal is a great player. He's probably one of the top three or four uh, left wings in his twenties in the mm-hmm. world. Um, but like the, the standard is, is he better than Gabriel Martinelli? And to me, uh, even amid like the bad form that he was going through, I didn't think that that was so clear. Many people thought it was. Uh, and here we are now um, 10 months later. And I think it's been completely flipped on its head. Like he's, he is not, he's a, he's now started 18 games in the champions league. And this isn't just against like Bayern Munich and Barcelona. Like he's, he started games against like Dinamo Zagreb and stuff like that. And he's got two goals in 18 games. Gabriel Martinelli just made his debut and he's got one. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Martinelli also scored 
15 in the Premier League, um, which is the most difficult league in the world, not Syria. Uh, so that's kind of the, the point that I'm making here is I think that the standard that you get held to as a player you already own is so much higher mm-hmm. than, than uh, a player that you could acquire. And it's kind of ironic because ultimately, like when you're doing the calculus, you have to say, is Eddie and Kedia better than uh, 30 million pounds and Lyle Foster? Because in one situation, or sorry, Eddie, in one situation, you have to spend to get the other guy. So I think that you could put Eddie in probably like solidly halfway up the table, um, maybe just outside of the table, like maybe Aston mm-hmm. Villa type of a, of a team and see little to no drop off overall. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one with, uh, you know, Aston Villa Red. They have Ollie Watkins, who's a player that I've always admired. Um, I was I still have some skepticism about if he could be like a top, top striker. But I think he's a very, very good player. Um, and I think that might be a, an interesting kind of, uh, comp, you know, for Eddie and Kedia. I, I still I keep coming back to like Eddie and Kedia is very hard to make a determination on. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, discussion that's been kind of going around with him weekly too now with, you know, um, does he make enough impact as a substitute? And I think that there's, well, one, there's just not a lot of minutes as a substitute. I think he's, you know, maybe like 990s or so. So about 800 minutes in there. Um, and this is going back, you know, basically his entire time with Arsenal. So it's a, it's over multiple seasons. Small sample. And the numbers like are still good. And I think a lot of it is just down to like the finishing. Um, he had a, a bad run of finishing last year. And I think that has certainly changed the the narrative about him and like just one or two goals in, you know, sub appearances absolutely make up people's mind. And, you know, I was also kind of looking here, like the amount of time that he's come on where the team is winning Super and we're looking to just kind of like see the game out. He's there to get extra legs, run around, uh, do some pressure. I know his uh, Sevilla performance kind of wrinkled some people because his running around included a kind of lazy foul being able to do that those kinds of things so he's kind of a, a weird player that is certainly kind of a, a Rorschach test I don't know how to say that one right so I'm just gonna <laughs> you know kind of mumble through it um, where people can kind of project things onto him um, and I, I feel like I do it as well where like on one hand I feel like he's you know not as good as some people say when we're trying to sell him but he's not as bad when people are uh, kicking him to the curb no. um, and saying that he's uh, you know worthless and being able to do things. I think he's like a, a weird guy that is kind of both things at once, right? He's he's not good enough for Arsenal, but he's also this massive asset that if somebody was coming to buy him, we should get a lot of money for. He's a he kind of is a, a little bit of everything right now. Yeah, I mean he's not like let, let's be let's be very blunt about this. He is not. Uh, regardless of what some people might say, how many followers they might have and how loudly they say it, he is not get this man out of my club, Rob holding standards by any <laughs> means. Uh, he, to me, he is closer to uh, Trossard on the bench than he is uh, someone like holding or uh, maybe like Jorginho, for example, like you, I don't think that I think he's probably in a similar level to Jorginho. Yeah. Um, if, if Arsenal hadn't had the, the injuries, I think he would have had, a similar minutes profile to what Jorginho has done. Probably. Yeah. And that's the other thing is, is I think that there's like a, there's like a floating out there conspiracy theory that Enkedi has got all these minutes to start this season because Arteta believes in him too much. And because blah, 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 blah. But like, I mean, Gabriel Martinelli just missed what, like six weeks, four or five weeks mm-hmm. with his injury. Uh, Jesus was out about that much time. Like we had, and he's going to be out again and he's going to be out again for a couple of weeks. And Eddie probably is going to get one or two more starts, like deal with it. Uh, he is, he's the, the next man up. That's just what mm-hmm. teams do. Like if, I don't know if, if Eve's Basuma gets injured for Spurs, like they're going to start Ollie skip or something. That's just, that's just what a backup is. He's not, no, he's not as good, but that's, but that's why he's a backup. That's the other thing that I think gets really, just really jumbled in this is that, um, just the constant like harping on this backup needs to be better than he is. Uh, But then like today Arteta goes to the podium and says, these two guys who might be starting games otherwise are going to miss a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And and now there's a panic. You know, we don't, we don't have starters. We don't have starters. This is is a squad. This is a squad. Oh wait, that guy's out. Oh no, we are seasons over. 
well, which is it? Do we not have starters? Do we have a good squad? Do we have guys who deserve to play? Or do we have 11 guys who can win the title? I think you need to make up your mind because you can't just say that there are a couple of these guys that are not good enough because from where I sit, Eddie and Kenny has come into the, the team three seasons in a row. I think I even said this last week, three seasons in a row. And the team has not uh, fallen out of its position for having a backup consistently starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases he has inspired like really good performances and wins uh, in big spots at, at uh, Traf- or old Trafford or sorry, no Stanford bridge um, against Manchester United last season at home. Yeah. And, and uh like this season, Crystal Palace was one of the best guys off the bench against Fulham. Like all, all this stuff when other guys have let the team down. So, you know what? Is he good enough to, to win Arsenal title starting all season? No, but that's not that's not his squad role. So why do we care? Is Emil Smith Rowe good enough to win a title starting all season? No. But does anybody hold that against him? No. <laughs> what about Bobby it's, the, it's, it's one of the <laughs> you know it's the the benefit the backup quarterback uh part right here where when you're not playing your stock goes way up yes. but then when you are playing um especially when you are an actual backup people will do remember why you are a backup. I, I found myself kind of surprised with the the reaction to the Smith Rowe cameo against Chelsea um because I didn't think his performance was memorable no. um if anything i thought it was almost a, a negative and kind of uh re doubled down my impression that he's not a midfielder um i, I certainly feel he's a, a you know a wide forward maybe even an inside forward um and i think that that's something that people are just kind of get blinded i think by some things and i, I know i'm not going to say that i'm blameless I, I certainly have my own blind spots and and things that drag me in um, so let's let's switch here to another wonderful topic of biggest disappointment. I think there might be a couple choices in this one. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll give you first crack at um, just pick one, uh, one of your biggest disappointments. Yeah. And this is I mean, I just I want to elaborate on what you said a minute ago um, about expectations. I think it's it's been a lot easier to think about disappointments, like you said, because they're so high. Like, who would you say? Yep. Who would you say is the biggest pleasant surprise at Manchester City? Like. There isn't ever really has one. Anyone, right? Has anyone exceeded expectations there? Have, has anyone disappointed? I'm sure you'd have a lot more material if you're a City fan. So um, kind of along those lines, I mean, to me, to me, it's fairly obvious. I think the biggest disappointment is probably Martin Odegaard. Um, I yeah, think, that's what I've written down here, too. I think that he uh, he was doing fine, um, maybe even like bordering on good coming into mm-hmm. uh, probably Chelsea, um, bordering on good with... Uh, man, he didn't do well enough against Tottenham is what I would say. But then I think he just, he just really did not play well against Chelsea. Um, and then he was just kind of like taken out of the game completely against Sevilla. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that was a, a, a strategic choice by Arteta to play up the left because Arsenal did like pretty significantly play way more up the left than up the right against Sevilla. Yeah. But, um, I would just say in general, uh, even though even though he's he's scored some goals and all that good stuff, um, you know I think that there's just there's just like a certain incisiveness that's that's not been there in the final third quite so much for him. And he's been he's always been kind of a flow based player, um, mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily surprising that he can hit a rough patch of form. But um, you know it's it's kind of like what you just said with Smith Rowe, but the opposite. Like they're just. And this happened to Ramsdale and happens to Enkedia every third game that he starts. Like people, some people are just waiting to say that he's not good. And then they, and then they get, they get some stuff to cling on to and you get like the AI Martin Odegaard ghost on Twitter and all that good stuff. And I'm just like, he's the captain. I guy. do love playing with the, the AI image generators. Um, that's I, I played around with it today um, in the newsletter. I saw that. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's always fun to be able to do it. So I, I don't blame anyone for creating it. So I was looking at the numbers this morning and, it's interesting. Like if you compare it to the 21, 22 season, I I think he's still playing better than that. But this goes again to like where we're setting the baseline. And it's like that 22, 23 season. I think a lot of people wanted that to be a new baseline, a, a new level that he had hit rather than like him. Maybe like it's, we don't know this now. We, we won't know this for another, you know, two or three years, but it's certainly possible that that might be his best ever season. And he may never reach those same heights again. Um, at least not as the, the same overall kind of level, 
But I think there are certain points where I think we'd, we'd like to see him be able to come closer to it. But it is interesting kind of seeing here. So, um, you know, shots are up from 21-22, but they're slightly down from last year. The main difference is where he's shooting from. He's back to something closer to what he did um, in 21-22 uh, with the, the average chance quality actually even down a little bit further. And, you know, I think if you had a, a couple of big chances, um, I think that would certainly help yeah. him um, yeah. overall being able to do it. Um, where he's playing um, is also um, more towards where he was previously. Um, the big difference, though, that I'm surprised in is like his his middle third touches have dropped significantly. Mm-hmm. So he still has the same you know kind of presence really deep in the defensive third, being helped um, help pull it out. But he's not having the same middle third touches. I think that's something that you know when you replace two thirds of your midfield, that uh, you have to expect that there's going to be knock on effects for how things are going. Um, but you know the penalty area touches are up from 21 22 but down from last season um, you know the dribble numbers are are back to kind of where they were previously maybe he's losing the ball a little bit more than what you would like but it is just kind of interesting that you know how the one really good maybe even a career year uh, you know kind of changes our expectations for it and I don't think it helps that you know he got the you know the big contract signing so now the expectations are kind of set at that level and you know he's the captain so maybe people have more uh, expectations on him but I, I think it's fair to say that it's been a disappointment but I think that you know maybe how much of a disappointment is going to be the the interesting question and it'll be good to see if he can come back from it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that there's there are some things to um, what we've seen from him where it's like uh, there there will be a rebound. Like there, I refuse to believe that he's like a point zero eight xa per ninety player. <laughs> um, he never has been. It's that's like less than half of his career total. So yeah, um, I think that there there are some things that are very obviously going to bounce back. Um, you know, he's. On that point, um, so uh, on FB Ref, if you go on there, so they have two different measures for XA. So there's the 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 standard XA, which is the shot assisted um, expected goals, and then there's the ones that try to measure uh, more of like a, an expected threat type, where like the passes that you do into the penalty area, um, how what are you know, what are the probability of those turning into goals? And he has a a pretty large gap between his his passes actually turning into shots and his what you'd expect. To be able to get from those so that one it's a uh, 0.08 for the shot assisted xg and 0.14 for the actual uh what you'd expect from just the the passes More like so it's a, and, and in the past those have been much closer so last year it was the exact same where he was about uh 0.23 for both you know maybe there's something to that because i i wrote i think two weeks ago now about how he was still very high for passes completed into the penalty area yeah, I mean, um, it's still it's it is down from last year. Like, don't like don't get me wrong, but it's not down to the same extent. Yes, yes, uh, and and that's very true for the. It's like a mosquito uh, for the club as a whole, though. Too is that like if if you were to just put someone blindly on FBRF and sort passes into the penalty area, you'd see Arsenal are are high, and you'd be like, oh, they must be one of the the most like the biggest volume creators in the league. And then you see like their 13th, it's probably different now, but 12th and NPXG. And you're like, Oh, that's weird. That's suspicious. <laughs> um, kind of the opposite of Newcastle. Newcastle are like very much mid table in terms of making those pass completions into the penalty area, but they're like first or second in XG right now. So yep. it'll be, you know, this is only a quarter of the way through the season. We got 75% of just the premier league to go 76, I guess. Um, and probably hopefully more, more uh, of the champions league too. So I think, you know, we tend, we tend to treat these things like week by week. Um, and you know, it's like, it's like, it's almost like a therapy session. Like the way it is now is not the way it will be forever. So we need to remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So I think the, the other one that I had on my list for biggest disappointment, and I think it would be remiss to not bring it up is potentially Kai Havertz. Um, so this is one that, I've again, I, I've been called a, a Kai Havertz apologist or, you know, propagandist for being able to do it. But Very low I think if you, go, uh, if you if you go back and actually read what I wrote when he came in, I, I always had a little bit of skepticism about 
you know, the, the transition, right? Because this is not something that we saw him do in the Premier League. Um, I could see the vision of why you'd want to do this. You're, you're betting on a player that has this uh, pedigree and was, you know, did this. But, you know, there was always the questions. I think one of the other questions that I had was that everything that we'd seen positive from him was on the right-hand side, and now we're switching him to the left-hand side. Um, so I think there's some of these questions, and I think the the answers right now are pointing towards it hasn't quite worked maybe as well as we hoped. I don't think it's worked as badly as some people say, but it certainly has not uh, done the transition like a Declan Rice has had a a transition here. No, definitely not. And I mean, you know, the Kai Havertz discussion has become, has frankly just become very, very boring. Um, It's, it's, we're beating dead horses like left and right when we talk about Kai Havertz, because I think that, uh, like you said, like people, people, if you can read and comprehend what people are saying or what they had said um, when that signing happened, I think there's just, there's just such a, such a huge difference between really boosting uh, a signing saying, Oh God, I'm so excited about this. This is going to be awesome. That's what we did with Declan Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wrote, I wrote that 105 million is, isn't a value, but who cares basically was my column on Declan Rice. Uh, and maybe it is a value now. Yeah, maybe it is. Um, but like, People, people are, have been really bad at confusing that for what I think a lot of people who are maybe a little bit more even keel, like you and me, and I, I can think of a couple other people too, on Kai Havertz saying like, no, he's, they're not only signing him to play as a number nine, we're not signing a third number nine. Like this is, this is what they're going to try to do with him and mm-hmm. trying, trying to help like understand and explain that. Like, I don't, I don't agree with everything Arteta does, but if I, if I try to like speak to why he might be doing it, that doesn't mean that I'm apologizing for him. It's just the discussion of why did he do that? That's all. So, I mean, go back in the pages on, on this very blog. You'll see, I gave that deal a C when the window closed. Um, people, I think basically people expected him to come in and do what James Madison has done at, at Tottenham. Mm-hmm. And it's not, um, it's not really, I mean, first of all, uh, they are nowhere near the same player. Uh, like <laughs> they play like nominally the same position, but that's where it ends for me. So, so it's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly he's taken some time to adjust. I think the pressure is definitely weighing him down. Uh, he started off stronger than he's been in the last couple of games, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that's, that's kind of, um, complicating things is that we, we've run into a string of matches where it doesn't really suit him, I think, to play, to have played as a midfielder. I think if we were, unless like everything went absolutely perfectly with his adjustment and he was better than expectation, if he had been that biggest surprise, I, I don't think that anybody, unless they were trying to score points, would have been saying that they expected him to actually start these games. Like, I, I don't think, I think the expectation for Kai Havertz was to play these matches like that we have coming up against Sheffield uh, to be able to slot into those games into the ones where we know we're going to have more of the ball. We need to figure out ways to break down low box and to be able to add additional options and threats to be able to do it. But I don't think it was ever really the plan for him to be in the biggest games as a midfielder per se. I think that that is one where um, maybe we have another disappointment in that, that Thomas party who we kept this year, like, you know, hasn't been available for those games because I think that was kind of the plan is that in these big games, when we need to control the midfield, we're going to, you know, switch out and we're going to have Declan Rice and Thomas party. And we are just going to have um, an athletic midfield with technical quality that basically can go up against any team in the world. And uh, unfortunately in these big games, we haven't been able to see it. Like we, we saw it for that little bit against Manchester city. Um, you know, you know, and then he got hurt again and it was really good. And it's like, you could see like, wow, this is nice. I really like this. Um, so it's just really kind of unfortunate that the injury bug has come back to him. Yeah. And I, you know, truth be told the, uh, injury was, was one of my, was one of my other big disappointments. I think that, I think that no matter which way you slice it, it's been, it's been a poor injury luck first quarter yeah. of the season. Um, whether you want to call it luck or not, when you're talking about party, obviously that's, that's a big one. Uh, Jesus, I think this is, this is the first time he's really missed any time with something other than his, his surgically repaired knee. So um, we'll see if, if he's really injury prone, if he picks up other injuries. Right. But, um, 
So it's been right. No, but you kind of look at the whole front line, right? So we've had, you know, time missed from Martinelli, time missed from Trissard, time missed from Iron Man, Bukayo Saka, Um, you know, and then, you know, it's even missed time. Yeah. So it's, it's been, thankfully it hasn't, there's only been one major injury, knock on wood. um, But it's, it hasn't been kind to us. Um, Thankfully it's a, the squad I think has really kind of picked up. So maybe that's uh, another surprise is the, the actual depth of the squad has been a, a very nice surprise to be able to see people be able to plug in, step up um, Takahiro Tomiyasu coming back from injury. Um, I think we, we didn't mention him in the surprises. And I think he's been a very pleasant surprise playing three positions for us this year. Uh, very well. I think being able to do those three positions, just a massive, like massive asset. Um, just to have around. And I think, I think, you know, he's, he's still only 25. His contract expires, I believe next summer or mm-hmm. sorry, not next summer. It's two years. Summer yeah. 20, I think he's got two more years. Yeah. Uh, so he'll be 26 or 27. If, I don't know when his birthday is. I memorize that stuff. Uh, so, you know, he could, he could end up asking for a significant amount of money and I could see Arsenal saying, yeah, we want to keep you around as long as he doesn't have like another season um, where he's missing all the time. So, yeah, it's it's uh yeah, I think there have definitely been some things to be to be disappointed about, but I mean on that on that injuries note, like it's so hard. It's so hard to know exactly what to think about what's working and what's not working. Because do you think I mean, do you think the intent, for example, with Kai Havertz was to have him come in and start um as essentially a number right left sided number ten behind Eddie and Kedia? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the, the plan was to have the, the interchange between him and Jesus. Yeah. Um, cause I, you know, my, my whole thing that I've you know talked about is that I think that Arteta saw Havertz as a midfielder who can do forward type of things. And I think that meshes well with Jesus, who is a forward who can do midfield type of things. And like, I just imagined the, the view was, you know, you had Martinelli also switching sides, Saka free to switch sides, and it would just be a team that, had constant motion and being able to fluidly move between the different roles. And I thought it would have been exciting and it's unfortunate that, you know, those guys haven't been able to play together for the long stretches. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think we have a single game this season with Havertz, Zinchenko and Jesus all in. Um, I think that a lot of that like positional was there, was that the, the one champions league against PSV where all three of them there together? Maybe they all play together. I meant, I meant start, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, a... it's interesting because I just think the system in general uh, creates a lot. Yeah, we, and yeah. So against PSV, we did see all three of those guys start together, and they that did. was our our that best, was best, most fluent season. So yes, there you go. Yep. I forgot that Jesus started that game, but um, yeah, it's been. I just I just feel like his system relies a lot on guys being a little bit unpredictable, um, and that that kind of comes up for me when we have this discussion about should he try Zinchenko in midfield um, and play Tomiyasu at the back, I think part of the appeal of Zinchenko in Arsenal system is that the guy is supposed to be in the back. He He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a free man. He's an extra man. That's part of what makes him like a, like a, a weapon. If he's, if he's a left eight who's playing in left eight positions, I don't know if that's like, I, I just don't know if he, I mean, he's a great passer, but I just don't know if he is quite the weapon. And I said the same thing about uh, like people who want to move Nuno Tavares to to the wing. I said, I said, yeah, you know what? Nuno Tavares is a great attacker for a fullback. End of sentence. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a, a good way to describe him. Um, he, he surprises you as a fullback to what attacking talent he has. But when you kind of compare him against other attackers, uh, he looks like a fullback playing attackers, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It's what I... It's it sucks to have to say this a quarter of the way through the season, but I don't know I don't know how much we've really learned about mm-hmm. all, so many things. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see, uh, like especially over the next few weeks with Jesus missing, with Party missing, um, kind of how how Arteta uses the squad, like what tactical tweaks he makes. Uh, will Jorginho continue to be the number six? Will Rice play number six? And if so, does that? move Havertz to the aid or does he want Havertz at striker? Because I mean, I think it's, it's very true that Kai Havertz has in, in a lot of ways provided in some big games, what people essentially think Arsenal need to buy Ivan Tony for. Yep. Um, he has become the long outlet and he does such a great job of holding it up. He's even created goals that way. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. 
Excellent. Um, I think that gives us a, a good uh, kind of segue into uh, expectations and have they changed for you this year? Um, I, I think I'm still in roughly the same spot, like where I, I'd like to see Arsenal challenge for a title, but with kind of the understanding that it still takes things to, to bounce the right way. Um, I, I've been surprised by some of the teams chasing. Um, I think Newcastle have looked really good. Liverpool have looked good. City maybe slightly off, but this, I don't know, is it they're having a slow start again because they did the same kind of thing last year and then turned it on in uh, like they seem to always do. Um, so I think the, for me, the expectations haven't really changed. What about you? No, I think, I think I'm a flat note of that question. I, but I think I also am probably a little bit more grounded in my expectations uh, before the season, which is kind of ironic because I think that when we were talking about, well, you know, Arsenal need to make the top four, and I was like, well, I, was, I picked him sixth, you know, stuff like that. So um, it's yeah, it's it's about it's about what I was expecting. Um, it's last season would have been more of like way ahead of expectations, I think. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I also think that we we need to like look at what's going on uh, and what happened last season and say, you know, maybe maybe it's not the worst thing in the world for them to be out in first right now. Like that's that does prove to be a burden for most clubs who are way out ahead in August and September, like that they end up bottling it, right? Like Spurs have such a fun reputation for that being the August champions. And I think that, you know, if these, if, if we're not first at Christmas, like, is that, does it really like, who cares if, if they're within even five points of the top of the table, like that's really good position to be in that can change very quickly. So I just uh, I feel very I feel very steady in my expectations, which are pretty much right in line with yours. I expect them to be one of the top couple, maybe three sides in the league and really put up a a tough fight for the for the league and, you know, do well in the Champions League. And so far Mm. I'm getting that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, outside of one result in lawns. Arsenal have been unbeaten. Um, I think even the, the match in lawns. I don't think it was a, a bad performance by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I don't think there's been a a situation or a, a match this year that I can really point to and think that that was, we really got away with one. Um, I think there's been, you know, some deserved draws, those kinds of things, but there hasn't been any ones where I came away feeling really bad about the team enough to really kind of change my expectations. I think there have also been a couple of games where the deserved was, completely the opposite direction and we Arsenal did not deserve to draw to Fulham on on balance the b- mistakes were bad but yeah. um yeah and I'm you know there I think there are games where maybe the final margin was one and it should have been more but mm-hmm. um yeah I mean listen if you if you came to me at the beginning of August and you said hey you know nine games into the league season three into the Champions League and one cup um here are here are the clubs that you're going to play uh would you take one loss from this I'd say hell yeah come on, of course I'll take one loss from that. I'm not, I'm not one of these people who thinks that every, every game against somebody who isn't from the premier league is like, this is Emil Smith Rowe and Fabio Vieira in midfield tonight, because this is easy work. You know, there's, there's a lot of, it's, it's actually a little bit ironic uh, how much arrogance there is in the Arsenal fan base regarding the champions league, considering we haven't even been in it for seven years and you expect them to go be able to beat everyone and everyone by multiple goals. So this I I would take this at the like people hate when you say Absolutely. that, but I would. Yep, and that's like that's just perspective. All right, next let's let's give the the manager a rating out of ten. I, I think this is kind of a a hard one. Um, he's he's had some changes that you know maybe he didn't want uh, the injuries that he's had to deal with. So what do you what do you give in Mikel at the the quarter mark here? I think I think that he he's definitely missed some games, uh, you know, set them up in a way that just didn't work. Um, you know, take leaving Saka on for too long against Nottingham Forest. I think this was the thing that or the, or the Bournemouth one too, right? Where he left Saka on. Yes, yeah, so three, three nil up. Yeah. Apologies to Bournemouth. You are not Nottingham Forest. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean persisting with party right back um, more than I would have liked stuff like that. But I also think that he has uh, overcome some additional arsenal curses and demons this season um, through his own 
tactical uh, acuity and ability. Um, I think thought, thought he set it up perfectly against Manchester City, which is mm-hmm. probably worth at least two or three points out of the ten. Uh, yep. And like first, I mean, we never win in Spain, and he won in Spain. Um, so I, you know, I'd probably give one at Goodison Park, right? We never do that either. Never do that. And that one's busted too. I think, I think, you know, out of 10, I'm probably like sitting at like an eight. And I think, I think that there is some upward mobility there once he gets all of his guys, if, if it clicks a little bit more. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think there, it's not a perfect 10, but I think there's some things to, to poke at where he's made some adjustments that, you know, you maybe wonder if they've worked exactly how you want them to be able to see. Um, we're, we've, we definitely changed. I think there's, um, a response to perhaps the, the end of last year where the, the defense really kind of let us down. So I think that maybe he swung a little bit too far into trying to cover for some of those uh, frailties last year. Um, I, I do wonder if the trade-off for the security that we're trying to go for with some of this possession is worth the, the neutering of the attack that we've seen. Um, I, I was looking at today where, you know, you see about the, you know, the fast starts, the, those seem to have gone, um, even though like we're, we're having more of the ball, we're having more of the final third possession. It, it seems like it's a possession with a lot more caution. We're not looking to directly attack from winning the ball back because mm-hmm. um, the pressing numbers are actually up, which is um, something that might surprise people. So we are trying to win the ball back, you know, just really as quickly, really actually even more quicker. But we are not using that to create transitions because it, I think that's one of the things that he maybe is uh, potentially scarred for. I might be projecting, but I think he has some some scar tissue from last year of seeing people run at our defense a little bit too often a little bit too much uh too easily so i think he's trying to accomplish that and i think he's done well um the defense outside of times when like the team has just like shot themselves in the foot has been excellent um i i don't think that, that anybody can really argue otherwise i think we have uh, right up there with manchester city the the best defense in the league right now and if we cut out the mistakes maybe would be the best defense in the league so and I think the other thing that maybe needs to get some praise is that I think he's we've given him a big squad with versatile players and he's taking advantage of it. I think one of the things that's been uh, clear over the last, you know, what, like three or four matches is the subs have changed the game and those guys coming on have given us something that we needed. And that's not something that people always said about Mikel Arteta, like his subs were too late yeah, or yeah. the subs didn't change the game. And I think that he's been. I haven't argued really with any of the subs, you know, maybe outside of the the Saka one, I would like to see him come off a little bit, but we all know Saka just plays forever um, to be able to do those kinds of things. So I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. That seven and a half, eight out of 10 uh, room for improvement, but I think he's been good so far. Yeah, no. And I, I do, I do agree with the notion that he has leaned more into the squad this season. I think that uh, almost, you know, not necessarily by choice, but he has used it. Yeah, well, I think I think sometimes it has been by choice. I think sometimes yep. it has. Like, uh, for example, the the decision to to be using Jorginho in certain games, mm-hmm. like Manchester City um, and Chelsea and and Sevilla, and um, you know switching to to Tomiyasu, which I think was a decision based on Zinchenko's form, but also like a tactical one. Um, so it's yeah, I mean, like, is he is he going to come out and like have one random guy be in every game? Like, no, that's not. I mean. That's what you do in football manager and FIFA. That's not what you do in real life. Like West Ham just went to freaking Olympiacos with a rotated squad and lost in a, in a league that they really need to do well in, by the way, because they're not going to make the champions league from the premier league. Um, coaches do not like to rotate as much as fans do. So it's just something that unless you've got Ake or Gavardiol or Jack Grealish on your bench, you're just not going to like make five changes from game to game. But I think I think that he's been more flexible, and I think um, you know one thing. One thing I, I know that he was carrying for I don't know probably a couple two and a half years when he started was that he could only do it. Well, once once he started to play his football, right? Because obviously three four three to win the cup and everything. But he um, once he really started to play his football, I feel like a lot of people would say that he could only do it one way, and if Plan A doesn't work, he was done. Like it was just mm-hmm. not gonna it was just not gonna go well. But I think that we've seen uh, a much stronger performance from him in that area because I think that like these these little tiny tweaks, um, you know, where Rice is playing in this game versus that game, even though he's maybe named in the same position, it is different. Um, or like 
or like, you know, giving Tomiyasu the freedom to get way the hell forward against Chelsea or sorry, Sevilla, um, stuff like that. Like, I think, I think where he's made these little game to game tweaks, I think it has just gotten better. Yep. So let's, uh, end this with a, a main takeaway from the, the quarter season, Mark, what's your, your main takeaway, Adam? I think my, the main takeaway is just that, uh, I think there's just a lot left to figure out. Um, it's just, uh, you know, for injury reasons, for form reasons, um, for like building chemistry and relationships. I just think that there's a lot, uh, a lot still left to learn about the team and to, to, if you were to list off like all of the adversity that Arsenal have been through, uh, at this stage of the season and then, even if you didn't list the adversity first and offered this position, I think a lot of people would take it. But then when you list like Zinchenko's going to miss games, Jesus misses games, Saka misses a game um, and still be Saka misses against Manchester city, no less. And you're, you're going to be in this position. I think people would be very pleased by that. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see like what, what the club looks like in, you know, the three quarter mark versus the one quarter mark. Yep. I think mine is that this season is just going to be different than last year. And I think we need to let it go um, and and stop making as many comparisons to it. And I, I know this is partially something me giving myself advice on being able to do things uh, because, you know, well, one, like that's uh, the baseline, right? Like that's what, you know, the natural comparison is to how things went last year. But this is a new team. This is a new season. We're trying different things and it's not going to be the exact same as last year. So I think that's something that that I want to try to think about going forward is maybe doing a little bit less of the comparisons to last year. Um, I think those ones are still going to be valid because like that's how we kind of are able to, to see change in things. But now that we're at the point where we are getting to a sample size that is fairly large, it is time to start looking forward and, you know, kind of making comparisons based on this year. So let last year go. It's a great memory, but maybe not over index it too much. So yeah. I think that's for myself and maybe for other fans to be able to to try to do as well. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. I think there's been, I think there's been so little um, appreciation of the journey this season. Like everything has been so uh, microscopically analyzed and also just analyzed through the lens of, of 12 or sorry, 22, 20, 22, um, But also I think just kind of an- analyzed through like the Wenger sort of DNA that the club has too. And, you know, we like to, we like to see really free flowing, uh, sexy football with a lot of goals and we hate the horseshoe mm-hmm. and everything like that. But um yeah, I mean, it, it, are they getting it done? Absolutely. And is it is it in any way unsustainable? Is there anything to indicate that this is unsustainable? I would say no, there's not. Arsenal aren't, aren't giving up no goals um, on a lot of chances. They're giving up no goals on no chances. They're scoring few goals on fewer chances than last season. And that's kind of, that's sustainable. So. Yeah, it, it certainly is. So. Uh, I think that's a, a good look back at the the quarter season. So I think we got we got a lot of good stuff to to look forward to. Um, let's do some some housekeeping. So this show is supported by our very much appreciated premium subscribers. Um, if you're considering that, uh, we would give you our our very loving appreciation. Uh, you get five additional articles per month, additional premium podcast, and yeah, being able to do all that wonderful stuff is because of those guys. Um, so Adam, Arsenal played uh, midweek in Sevilla, so we've touched on it a little bit. Um, let's 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 uh, break into that a little bit here. Um, so Arsenal put themselves in a, a very good position now to win the group. Um, it was uh, kind of a must win, I think. Well, it, maybe not quite a must win, but maybe as close as you can get to a must win before uh, you get, uh, or actually a match week three, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe a good way to put it would be it was a must not lose. I would say, yeah, to come out to come out of of that game with one point, I think would have been fine. Other than the, uh, you know, the eulogies for the season that we would have gotten from it. But um, no, I mean to be to be in first uh, point up on Lons, who you, whom you've already visited, uh, up three on Sevilla, who, whom you've already visited. Eindhoven are the, will be the very last game of this group stage. So yeah, the, the Eindhoven away match that and that will be uh, basically. I mean, most likely considering the next two are at the Emirates, this will know our destiny by then. So um, yeah, I mean, listen when when you get an away match as an English Premier League club in the Champions League, like you you get to see the full throat of like the fans, the full like the best version of their atmosphere. 
Um, that's a game that those clubs really want to win. And I think that especially a club like Sevilla, I mean, all you need to do is look at their performance in Europe versus Spain. And you see that at what matters to them, right? Because they do so much better in Europe. Um, but you know, all that said, I just, I think it was, I think it was a really good performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it got, it was a little flat for parts of the first half, but, um, you know, you get, sometimes you just gotta like in these champions league games, you just gotta rely on like some individuals to make some great plays. Uh, Martinelli probably should have had two goals, but had a great goal, great turn from Jesus to set him up and, um, just some really good performances at the back, uh, you know, got a little frantic at the end, but, um, yeah, you know, just to be able to walk away from that uh, with the three, I think is just is just really big. Yeah, so I was looking at this and uh, two wins, and that guarantees Arsenal win the group. So that is kind of the the goal here. Uh, two two home matches, and I think that Arsenal should be pretty heavy favorites um, in the next two, right? So we'll have uh, Sevilla at home and uh, Lons at home. Mm-hmm. So I think those are ones that that Arsenal should feel pretty good to being able to make it. So you know we, we've been wanting, you know, fans have been wanting to rotate so much during the Champions League. Uh, so let's uh, let's take care of the business in these last two, um, and then we should be able to to rotate heavily for the last PSV match away. But um, you want to talk about? Gabriel Martinelli, uh, that guy, this is his first um, Champions League match ever, yeah. uh, which I was kind of surprised by because, you know, we're, we're so used to Arsenal just, you know, being in the Champions League. And then we had the the seven years in the wilderness. And then we played two already this year, but he was out injured for him. So this was his, his debut. Yeah. And what a debut from him. Yes, yeah, so he was just, I mean, so good. And I thought, I thought he was probably the best attacker um, on balance for Chelsea too. Uh, he's just, mm-hmm. I think he's just come back very strong um, from his injury. Uh, you know, he made an impact against city, obviously. Uh, so it's been, it's been so fun to, to watch him. Um, you know, I, I had almost forgotten how many uh, of our own guys. I mean, I guess I had almost forgotten that Saka almost that Saka also made his champions league debut uh, two weeks ago when I was, when I was just getting hyped for, for Martinelli. I just, he's, he's got such a, I think he's just got such a game that really suits him for those kind of, matches um and but he's also just got such a mentality like he was everywhere mm-hmm. uh just running and running and running and nine recoveries as a winger which is just ridiculous some wingers make nine recoveries all season uh <laughs> and you know it's just um i don't know he just he he seems to just really thrive in those kind of like this is the time to step up type of uh situations i thought he was one of the best players down the stretch last season um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so psyched to get to watch him more in the champions league, like I, him at the Emirates in the champions league. I think he's going to really just have some fun, especially if he keeps getting a play against 37 year old right backs. Yeah, no, that was a, a really good, yeah, I mean, just Martinelli and Jesus, their, their combinations in this match were, were so, so good. Um, really, really liked being able to see it. I, and then I just came away with the impression that, you know, Arsenal were better than Sevilla. Um, you know, the, the one goal conceded was, you know, a little bit of a bummer because I thought, you know, maybe this one deserved a, a clean sheet for being able to play yeah. um, through it. So I, I'm very happy here. Um, so let's look ahead for some of the, the matches that we do have coming. It's a, yeah. another full week. So we got Sheffield tomorrow, West Ham um, midweek after that um, in the cup, and then a big trip to St. James Park up in Newcastle. Yeah, well, it's this is going to be I think this is going to be a really fun from like a nerdy perspective. It's going to be a really fun uh, week f- to watch how Arteta handles it, because, um, you know, I don't think that I don't expect him to play a really strong lineup at West Ham. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't expect West Ham to either because they've got a league game this weekend. They just had a Europa League game that they had to use some, some guys in to try and come back, which they failed at. Um, and then they've got, uh, another league game next weekend and they have, then they have to come home and play Olympiacos again. So, uh, you know, I think this is probably both sides best chance to rotate some guys, um, mm-hmm. which leads me to think that, you know, despite people calling for names like ESR and Vieira, um, for Sheffield that probably will see the, the strongest fit team that Arteta can throw out there. So, It'll be it'll be interesting, and and you know my understanding, although I don't follow Sheffield United religiously, is that they have a lot of health concerns at the moment. So, 
Yeah, I've heard the, the center backs are pretty uh, beaten up right now. So I know they've been playing more of a, a back five, but it might be interesting to see if they even have enough players to be able to manage something like that. Yeah, they've uh, and I think I think just on the on the the whole of their performances have been probably the worst side in the league so far this season, as much as people would like to say that's Luton. Uh, I think Sheffield United have been worse. Um, and hey, you know, on the Gooners, like the podcast uh, marathon, I said Hecking Bottom would be the first one to get sacked. So let's let's go Gunners, get them out of there. <laughs> yeah, you know, we all root for our, our predictions to come true. Um, my Eddie Howe prediction um, on that podcast is not looking good. Yeah, that didn't turn uh, well. Although, you know, if he kind of screws up the, the Champions League, uh, maybe it could be. Um, maybe. You know, they did uh, get beat by Dortmund at home. Um, so that leaves them with what just the, the oh, four points because they did get a, a very very lucky draw at uh, AC Milan. Yeah, but yeah, they're, they're in trouble. So, but yeah, that is the the team that we play next week or weekend after next. Uh, so Newcastle, um, they've been weird. Um, so I know there was the the double pivot podcast. Um, if you listen to them, uh, they went kind of in depth into what makes them peculiar and how they've been able to accumulate the the points and their attacking performances. They are a team that kind of relies on efficiency, uh, both in you know keeping people away from their own box and then also getting into other teams' boxes and just making the most of their opportunities. Kind of the the anti Arsenal right now, where we are not very efficient with our uh, you know dangerous possession. They have been. Um, so I think it is interesting. So this weekend, Sheffield United, you think it's going to be a pretty strong team. Um, I think let's, let's kind of go through the decision points. Uh, yeah. The first one is striker. You go in with Eddie. You go in Shard. You bring in Kai up to nine. Well, there's. I think. I think there's. There's an argument for all of them because I think mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, you say. You say. I think the 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 argument for Shard would be something along the lines of, well, he's going to combine better with the wide players you know he might he might i think you'd say he's the most like for like if we're going to try to like have a gabriel jesus clone 100 percent, and and he so he, i mean he does that really well um but he also kind of takes away like uh a crowded box kind of option if you play him i think i think he's got to be like the the jesus and be do more midfieldery things as a number nine so yeah. i think the one thing that you might say that jesus does that you know, is kind of what makes him special is that although he's not the the biggest guy, he plays like a much bigger guy. Yeah, I mean, he's a and I don't favorite. think Trussard has that. Yeah, so so then you say, well, okay, if you have a crowded box and you need to f- uh, kick one up high and have somebody knock it down into the goal, then you say, well, that would be Kai Havertz. But um, I also think that, like like you said earlier, Kai is brought in to be kind of like an additional attacker against these low blocks. So I could see him being in midfield, which mm-hmm. leaves Inkedia. Um, which everyone will groan at if it's an hour before the game and he gets a start. But listen, he keeps getting the starts. And I think, I think that would be my prediction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily go with him, but I think, I think in a game when the ball might be doing a lot of bouncing around in the box, that might really suit Eddie because I think when he uh, has to do a lot of like hold up, um, while he can do a good job at hold up, I think sometimes, you know, you, he, he makes that turn and, and takes that shot from the edge of the box and it's just not his, not his game. Um, I don't know. So I think, I think I probably would go Eddie and I think Arteta will too. Um, yeah. Part, partly to get Kai a start in midfield and play Rice at six. Yeah. Um, so I think the other question is, so we did, we did both pick Odegaard as a, a disappointment is there any thought in your mind that he might get a, a break here or is this uh, too much of a, a game where we're going to be looking for his potential creativity? Well, I think it's, it's another interesting one because I can see the argument both ways. I can see, I can see, man, you know, he needs, he needs a break, uh, but also he needs to get dropped to light a fire under him. Mm-hmm. Um but also, like I see that his skill set would be valuable in this game, particularly like some of the longer shooting and stuff like that. So, uh, but also, I mean, the guy the guy behind him is Fabio Vieira, and he can do that stuff too. Uh, yeah, you put Vieira in Odegaard's role for this game, I think they would be fine. So, I'm, I'll be really interested to see Arteta's thought process. I personally don't think I would drop him, um, just because the next game is West Ham, and I am not starting Odegaard in the Carabao Cup at West Ham to try and get him into a rhythm. I'd rather do that in the league. So, uh, you know, I could see it going either way, but I 
probably expect him to start. Yeah, I, I think the because the match in midweek is the League Cup, and I think we all expect a pretty heavy rotated side, um, especially with a, a looming trip to, to Newcastle after. I, I do expect that we'll be strong for this weekend and weaker at midweek to try to like you know give some guys some some minutes and you know being able to you know keep them involved and engaged. But then yeah, really targeting Newcastle way as well as one of those things. Um, any, any other changes in, in midfield or would you consider, you know, maybe, you know, Declan Rice at left date again, uh, Jorginho, another match. Can, can Jorginho play uh, three <laughs> matches in a row? Uh, well, without a break. I think, I think Arteta has got to, got to think a little bit about in the middle of the week, because if he doesn't, if, if he hypothetically does play Jorginho, obviously party will not be around for that game at West Ham. I mean, who would you play deep in the midfield in that game then? <laughs> That's the question. So I kind of think he has to give Jorginho a rest for this. Um, we got El Nenny coming back, right? It could be El Nenny, Jorginho. Do we? Has he played any minutes? I have no idea. No, I don't think so. Has he made a bench yet? I, I don't know. That's a great question. I'll pull up. Um, yeah, I mean, he's traveled with the team and stuff, but I don't know if he's been on the bench. So I, he was on the bench for Sevilla. Okay, but so, um, yeah, he is uh, potentially available. Potentially available, so who knows? Because if he is available and he can actually play and everything, yeah, throw him out there for that game. That's fine. But you know, Jorginho, I believe, started against Brentford and uh, made an early mistake, but played really well otherwise. Um, so you know, it could be a good game for him. All right, and then into the back line. Um, so I think the the main question maybe is at the you know the left back. Is this a Takahiro Tomiyasu keeping his spot or is Zinchenko coming back in? I don't know. I mean, I think you, I think you got to play the hot hand. Um, I don't know that as much as I love Zinchenko and it is, you know, I do appreciate him a lot. I, I think that the reality is Tomiyasu just played his role in a pretty big game and did a really good job. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would, I would continue playing him until, until, you know, there's an injury or uh, he loses form or something. But um, yeah, I just, I think that he just provides a lot. Uh, when he can play that, when he can play that position and, and do well, um, right? He's been uh, almost that uh, auxiliary forward that people want too, as well. Like, there was a, a couple moments in the Sevilla match, and even also in the the one against Chelsea, where yeah. like he has gotten really far Manchester up the pitch, City being able to do it. Um, I think it was also actually kind of interesting too to kind of see him um, step into almost the center back role with uh, Gabby moving out to the far left in some of the build up play. Um, so I, I also think that there's a, a an outside shot that we'll see Tamiyasu here. Um, and maybe, you know, you put um, Zinchenko. Because I think, um, again, kind of targeting Newcastle. Um, maybe you think that the guys that we want for Newcastle are going to be here. And I think you want, you know, Tamiyasu for his dual winning, um, especially at a big away game uh, going up against, you know, some of the, the wingers that Newcastle have to, to be able to, you know, solidify that. Um, you know, not being able to have a, an easy target like uh, Sterling was able to get against Sinchenko in that first half. So, yeah, it'll be a interesting one right before uh, kickoff here. Yeah, and it's worth, I mean, we'll we'll have another pod before then, but it's also worth noting that um, another reason to rotate pretty heavily for West Ham is that immediately following Newcastle is the return leg against Sevilla on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, big, big two weeks coming up here. But after after that, getting to go... I think host Burnley, um, you know, I mean, for all the panicky type of rhetoric and stuff uh, for the injuries, it's, it's a relatively friendly stretch for that. Yeah. Outside of Newcastle, um, it's a, a, a not horrible time of year for Arsenal to be able to go through Cause then we got, yeah, another international break yes. to, to wait for and, you know, interrupt things, struggle through, make, have stupid t- tweets become the topic of every day. All right. Um, do you want to talk a little bit of injuries or is that something that we can uh, you know, do for next week? Do you, you don't want to talk we'll about injury talk about proneness? It. Yeah, I think we'll have to talk about it next week. Well, you know, Scott and I were thinking about talking about um, this whole concept of like injury prone. I, I think there's been a lot of really strong language directed toward uh, particularly party, but also Gabriel Jesus um, this morning. Maybe maybe one of us can write about that this week, too, though. Yeah, make it a, a good spot there. Um, I think that's a, a good spot to leave it. Um, been a, I really enjoyed talking about the the quarter season checkup. I like sometimes looking at some of these bigger topics, looking back at things. So that was a, a great idea by you, Adam. So thank yes. you for that. I earned my pay for the week, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I hope you guys all enjoyed it. If you did, um, you can uh, like and subscribe. Uh, give us the, the reviews on wherever you listen. Um, stay up to date uh, with Canon Stats by subscribing to the newsletter. You can follow us on all of the socials at Canon Stats. Um, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you after hopefully a big win that gives everybody into a very, very good mood. Um, we got a you know a good match against Sheffield at home. Hopefully the the weather will will be good because you know one thing that apparently English people uh, never deal with is rain. That was a, an interesting thing to to hear people complaining about rain on Saturday <laughs> or last week. Uh, you know if if it was for me who lives in the desert, rain complaining about it makes sense. But people that live on a rainy island, you would have expected them to be able to deal with it better. You may complain about playing on grass, so you're used to the sand. <laughs> we have we have plenty of grass fields here the wonderful grass fields all right i think that's a, a good spot doing it uh thank you adam have a, a good weekend we'll talk to you on the next one sounds good cheers y'all